Okay, <clears throat> raise your hand if you have ever heard the expression, there's no such thing as a stupid question. Okay, or the variant, which is the only stupid question, is an unasked question. Okay, we've all heard that. The problem is we don't believe that, right? Like you were probably told that by a very well-intentioned elementary or middle school teacher who's trying to encourage that curiosity within you, but we don't live like that. We are deathly afraid to ask questions, and I'll tell you why. It's because we wonder, what will people think of me if I ask this, right? Or, what will they think if I ask now? I don't know about you, but I've sat through instruction in a classroom or, or just being taught to do something, and I really wanted to ask, but then I felt like I probably should have already asked this. Like, too much time has passed because now people are going to wonder, what have you been doing this whole time? Like, why did you wait to ask now? I worked on a Habitat for Humanity house a number of years ago, and I got put in charge of doing some stuff. Guys, I have no idea how to build a house. I'm not very handy. Like, it's not my thing. But, like, too much time had passed. Like, I'd been back there working for, like, an hour, hour and a half, and I, I just thought, if I go and ask this, like, foreman what to do now, He's going to wonder, what have I done to this house? And so, like, I hope that house is still standing, but I, I had no idea. And I was kind of embarrassed. I felt like I needed to know, right? Like, you feel, I should know this, but I have no idea what I'm doing. And I don't want people to not, you know, think well of me, so I won't ask. And I would just suggest to all of us in this room that maybe we should care a little less what people think about us. Now, there's that false security, right? Maybe you know somebody who says this, I don't care what people think about me. That person is lying to you and they are lying to themselves. We all care what people think about us. But perhaps we need to care somewhat less and maybe we don't need to care as much what so many people think of us, right? Like I care what my wife thinks. Duh, it's my wife. I don't care what a stranger on the street thinks as much as I care what my wife thinks, but I'm a little insecure. I do care what that stranger thinks too. Uh, but we, we've, got to, we've got to get over this. We've got to begin to care more what God thinks about us than we do what other people think about us because that stops us from asking sometimes very good questions, right? We, we don't want to seem like we don't know what's going on. And that's one thing like sitting there learning, you know, chemistry or calculus, but here at church, it takes on a whole new dimension. Because we go, if I ask questions, people are going to think I'm not a Christian, or they're going to think I don't know anything, or I didn't pay attention during all those years of Adventure Week, or coming up through Switch and Axis and Crave. They're going to think I, like I'm spiritually backwards. And I just, I, my whole goal for this two-week miniseries is simply to normalize questions. It is okay to have questions. It is normal to wrestle with doubts. I'm going to say that again. It is okay to have questions here at church about the things of church, God, the Bible, faith, eternity. It's normal to have doubts. You are not alone. But again, we get really scared around this, this idea. A lot of us are deathly afraid somebody would ask us a question that we don't know the answer to, right? Like, hey, I, I want to go and I want to be a light. I want to be a witness. I want to share for God. But my goodness, what if somebody asks me something and I have no idea? What if I say something wrong and I doom them to hell forever? You ever thought that? Let me just assure you and set you free from something. God's sovereignty is bigger than you're not knowing an answer to a question, okay? That is not an excuse to not research. It's not an excuse to, to just give flippant answers. 
It should be some peace that you're, you're going to be okay in that. And sometimes the three best words you can say when someone asks you a question are, I don't know. I don't know. Next week, we're going to answer some questions. We've already had several come in, and, and they're really good. Like, they're not just all really short. Some of them are. Even the short ones have some punch. But there's some long ones, and it's like, holy doly, how are we going to deal with this? I'm, I'm genuinely excited about that next week. We're going to answer those questions. But you maybe have some questions, and you've even been scared to send them into our Instagram because, oh, Kevin's going to think less of me if he knows I have questions. No. There's a ton I don't know. I went to Bible college. I studied this book. There's a ton I don't know. And some of those questions that have already come in, I'm like, I don't know. I have to do some research this week. I'm going to have to ask Ryan. I'm going to have to ask JC. I'm going to have to call Pastor Perry. I have no idea. It's okay to not know. It's not okay to stay that way. Like you want to try to pursue growth, but it's okay to not know. And in fact, there are some things we just can't know. If you're taking notes tonight, this is kind of an obscure Old Testament verse, but I want you to get this. Deuteronomy 29, 29 says this, The Lord our God has secrets known to no one. We're not accountable for them, but we are, excuse me, but we and our children are accountable forever for all that he has revealed to us so that we may obey all the terms of those instructions. Stated another way, hey, there's some stuff about God you're never going to figure out, and that's okay. There's some things that maybe you'll wonder between now and the time you stand before Jesus, and you'll never figure it out. But there are other things that God has pretty clearly revealed, and we are accountable for those things. So again, not knowing is okay, but if it's something God has clearly revealed, it's not okay to continue to live in ignorance. So we ask those questions, even if it makes us a little uncomfortable. But I would ask you to think about what are the motivations behind asking some questions? I think there are, are at least three. I've got three to talk about. I think sometimes we ask questions as a smokescreen, right? Like sometimes things get a little too personal, and so we'll begin to deflect with questions. You ever do that? I think about the woman at the well in John chapter 4, and we, we won't turn there. You can check this out on your own time. Jesus is having an encounter with the Samaritan woman. He's a Jewish man. That in and of itself is, is miraculous. And they begin to have this conversation about living water. And Jesus says, I can give you living water. You'll never thirst again. She's like, that sounds pretty good. He says, cool, go get your husband. She says, I don't have a husband. He says, you're right. You've had five, and the guy you're with now is not your husband. Gets a little personal, right? Like real quick. You know what she does? She starts asking questions. She's like, well, that's interesting, uh, Jew. Let me ask you some things about how Jews feel about where we should worship and how we should worship. Jesus got a little too close to home. And so she starts deflecting with questions. It's a smoke screen, a smoke bomb. I really wanted to find like a ninja smoke bomb and throw it down at this point in my message, but I really felt like HR and facilities would really frown on that. But if anybody could hook me up at some point with a ninja smoke bomb, I'm super into it. See me after. Uh, so smoke screens, I think that's why. Uh, sometimes we ask questions because we're uncomfortable with the status quo or with our understanding of things. Uh, and I'll give you a, a really prominent example from our society today. People will ask a lot of questions about the Bible and faith because they're very uncomfortable with what the Bible says about sexual ethics. Like we look at the world today and go, what the world says is acceptable does not match what this book says is acceptable. So they'll begin to ask very cynical, very pointed questions. Well, what, I, what I've experienced doesn't seem to match this. And so they get kind of aggressive. And that's the reason people will ask questions. We all know what that's like to have somebody. Like they're not interested in what you have to say. 
They just want to attack you. It's an attacking question. We've probably all been on the receiving end of those. And to that person, if that's you, I would even just ask you, do you care what God thinks? Do you care what God says? I hope we do. I hope everybody in this room would say, yeah, I care what God says. But you have to ask yourself because it starts there. And then I think there are genuine questions that come from a place where we want to grow, we want to understand. And those are good things. But again, we're, we're afraid. What will people think of me if I have these questions? Do me a favor. This is maybe a real cheesy youth group move here for a second. Everybody close your eyes, okay? I'm not going like, to ask you to receive Jesus in this moment or stand up or anything. But here's what I want you to do. If you have ever or currently struggle with doubt or questions in your faith, do me a favor. Put your hand up and keep it up, okay? Now, nobody chicken out. Keep your hands up, and everybody open your eyes and look around. <gasps> I can't believe that person's raising their hand. Yeah, almost everybody in the room, and again, I'm not doing this as an example. You've been raising your hand since you were in kindergarten, okay? I have wrestled with questions and doubts. The people all around you have. So let's normalize having these questions about the Bible. It's okay. My hope is that Brookwood and specifically Crave will always be a a place where you can come and say, hey, I just don't understand this. Can you help me? I don't know. If I can't, I'll go find somebody who can and, and we'll wrestle with it together. I want to share with you tonight what I think is a really hopeful and helpful posture and prayer. Uh, this comes from Mark chapter 9. So if you've got your Bibles, turn there with me to Mark chapter 9. We're going to look at verses 14 through 29. Kind of a long passage. We actually won't read the entire thing. I'm going to summarize part of it, and then we'll read some of it together. Here's what's happening in Mark chapter 9 as you turn there. Uh, a demon-possessed boy has been brought to Jesus, and the disciples have been unable to heal him. Uh, so first they came to the disciples. You know, Jesus had the 12 guys he was really close with. They weren't able to fix the problem. They weren't able to cast out the demon. And there's a crowd that's kind of stirring, and they're getting a little agitated, and there's a lot going on here. And, and the dad tells Jesus that the boy will throw himself on the ground. It's very violent fits. He, he's possessed. And, and this man has an encounter with Jesus. So we actually, we'll pick it up in verse 20 of Mark chapter 9. So they brought the boy, but when the evil spirit saw Jesus, it threw the child into a violent convulsion. And he fell onto the ground, writhing and foaming at the mouth. How long has this been happening? Jesus asked the boy's father. He replied, since he was a little boy, the spirit often throws him into the fire or into the water trying to kill him. Have mercy on us and help us if you can. I love Jesus' response here, verse 23. What do you mean, if I can? Jesus asked. Anything is possible if a person believes. Sometimes we paint Jesus as this very like bland, boring, vanilla dude. And this guy's like, hey, help me if you can. Jesus like, what do you mean if I can? Do you know who I am? I'm Jesus. Like you're asking me to heal your son. This demon's trying to kill your son. What do you mean if I can? Of course I can. I'm Jesus. We keep reading. The father instantly cried out, I do believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. I do believe but help me overcome my unbelief. I think that's so powerful. What a, what a healthy, helpful thing for us to be able to grab a hold of. Here's this man who's going through just a hellacious experience. Imagine someone that you love dearly, just struggling. And he comes to Jesus, and he's like, hey, Jesus, if. And Jesus is like, there, there is no if. I'm Jesus. 
There is no, it's do or do not, I'm Jesus, right? And the man says, I believe, but help me in my unbelief. I think sometimes if we run up against a question that we can't fit neatly into a box that we can answer, we'll throw everything out. Like if you've ever read in these 66 books that make up this Bible and you find something, you're like, I have no idea how to deal with this. Well, the whole thing must be garbage and you just throw it out and you walk away from your faith. That's the kind of thing that we see happening all the time. Just because you have something you struggle with that you don't understand, that you struggle to believe, doesn't mean that you can't still believe. It just means you have something you're struggling to understand or believe. I love this dad says, Jesus, I do believe. Help me when I when I don't. Maybe that's you tonight. Maybe you're like, hey, I really I've heard all these stories and I've believed this my whole life, but now I've got some questions, and because I have those questions, I just I don't know what to do. And you're thinking about walking away. Statistically, many of you will walk away from church one day. You'll walk away from faith. You'll decide, I was a Christian when I was a kid, but now I'm an adult, and and that's not for me. Just because you have one question that you can't neatly answer doesn't mean that you have to throw everything out. What we do is we pray. We say, God, I, I want to believe. I'm struggling. Can you help me? And I think when we pray that honestly, I think the Holy Spirit will, will meet us in that. Jesus describes the Holy Spirit as the one who will lead us into all truth. But we'll run everywhere else except God, right? When we've got problems, we've got questions, we've got doubts, we'll, we'll ask our friends at school, we'll jump on Google, we'll get on social media. We never even once stop to go, God, can you help me with this? Can you help me understand? Pray and ask God for wisdom. James 1.5 says, if you need wisdom, ask God and he'll give it to you. But I think after we pray that prayer, we do need to do some research, right? You should not ever sit in a church and wait on a pastor or a small group leader to spoon-feed you. I have an almost two-year-old son. I don't even spoon-feed him. He's too anxious. He just wants to throw that stuff in his mouth. He won't even, like the, the airplane thing you see in movies and TV, no, we don't have time for that. He's strong and independent, or so he thinks. He feeds himself. So whether you're here at Crave or at Brookwood or some church down the line, if you are wholly dependent on a pastor or somebody else to feed you, you're doing it wrong. Do some research. Now find some good sources, right? Don't just Google and click on the first thing and go, this must be true because everything on the internet is true. Wrong. Do some good research and beware of confirmation bias, meaning you go into it with a preconceived notion and then you just look for sources to back what you already thought. Find things that will challenge your stance, that will push you beyond what you already thought. Do some research. And in addition to that, when you have these questions and doubts and you're like, I don't, I don't even know how to talk to God about this, talk to somebody who talks to God. Maybe it's your grandpa or your grandma who has just been following Jesus for like 60 years you're like, they got to have some knowledge about Jesus that I don't have. Go talk to them. Or a parent that you know loves the Lord, go talk to them. Your small group leaders. Hear me say this, Crave. Your small group leaders love you so much. They don't get paid. They give their own time. They could be taking a nap. They could be watching football. They could be doing a lot of different things. And they're here because they love you. They may not have all the answers, but you could ask. You can come and ask me. You can come and ask Jacob. You can come and ask any of our staff. And again, we may not know. 
It'd be real fun to call Pastor Perry together. Hey, Pastor Perry, I'm here with some high school students. We have no idea how to answer this. And he would, he would probably think it's great. But ask, talk to somebody. Don't stay alone in that because doubts are normal. In fact, doubts we see all throughout the Bible, people who struggled and wrestled with their faith. Now, Jesus had 12 disciples, we know this, and there was one in particular who struggled with this. What, what do we call him? Doubting Thomas. I got to tell you guys, that's a bum deal. Like when I, I'm going to meet Thomas one day and I'm going to say, dude, I feel so bad for you because his nickname through all of eternity came from one pretty low moment in his life. Like none of you in this room would want your nickname to be derived from that one low point. That would be terrible. What you maybe don't remember about Thomas is as Jesus is getting ready to head to Jerusalem and the disciples are like, this is a horrible idea. They're going to kill you, Jesus. They're going to kill us. It's Thomas who says, come on, let's go. Let's go and die with the master if we must. Man, what an incredible commitment. It's Thomas who, after Jesus has been resurrected and ascended, goes as a missionary and is martyred for his faith. He's killed by false priests who don't like the fact that he's converting people to Christianity. But we remember him as doubting Thomas because he had a rough go. In John chapter 20, we'll put this on the screen for you. We'll, we'll, we'll understand where this Doubting Thomas nickname comes from. One of the 12 disciples, Thomas, his actual nickname was the twin. So, poor guy, now he's Doubting Thomas, was not with the others when Jesus came. Let's stop right there. If you read right above this in John 20, it says that the disciples are all together in a locked room. And Jesus just appears to them. And he says, peace be with you. Why does Jesus say this? Because a dead man has just walked into the room. They're probably freaking out. In fact, he says it twice. Peace be with you. It's me. It's Jesus. But Thomas wasn't there. Now, I've seen some writers and scholars say, well, Thomas, in his doubt, wasn't there. Thomas could have been making a Taco Bell run. We don't know where Thomas was. Okay, he could be getting some food. Maybe he was in the bathroom. We don't know. What we don't know. But he wasn't there. We do know that. And so when he comes back, the other... 10, right, because Judas Iscariot, he gone. Uh, the other 10 say, we've seen the Lord. But Thomas replied, I won't believe it unless I see the nail wounds in his hands and put my fingers into them and the place and the wound in his side. All right, stop right there. We bag on Thomas and we give him so much grief. I won't believe until I see. Look right here at me. You would have the same reaction. Your 10 best friends are in a room, and they're like, hey, that loved one that we had that died, he's back. And you'd be like, cool, 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 cool. What is wrong with all of you guys? Like, what have you been doing while I've been gone? Are you in a right mental state? Something is wrong. Like, this is wishful thinking. This is group psychosis. You guys are nuts. Thomas's reaction is completely normal. All of us would... Let's not get so conceited. We're like, no, I have such a rich faith that I would immediately believe that my loved one who has passed on is back. No, you wouldn't. But we give him grief when this is normal. Eight days later, though, the disciples were together again, and this time Thomas was with them. The doors were locked, and suddenly, as before, Jesus was standing among them. Peace be with you. Now, granted, the other ten guys have seen this happen before, but if someone ever appears in a locked room just out of nowhere, it might freak you out, even if you've seen that trick before. So, peace be with you, he said. And then, specifically to Thomas, verse 27, put your finger here and look at my hands. Put your hand into the wound in my side. Don't be faithless any longer 
believe. Now, Jesus is demonstrating he knows what Thomas said, even though he wasn't there when Thomas said it. That's some pretty impressive stuff. My Lord and my God, Thomas exclaimed. So listen, Jesus meets Thomas in his doubt, and that's a beautiful thing. Jesus' reaction is not, hey, everybody, except Thomas. Hello to everyone except this guy. Like, he doesn't exclude him. He doesn't push him to the side. In fact, he speaks directly to his doubt. Hey, Thomas, uh, come here. I know you wanted to touch me, and that's a little weird, but come on, you can do it. It's fine. I'm Jesus. I'm alive. I have a physical body. I'm not a ghost. Maybe you have some doubts. You're like, man, I just wish Jesus would speak directly to me, and I'm telling you, I believe he can. Is he physically going to show up in the room? Probably not. Could he? Absolutely. I'm not going to limit God. I'm smarter than that. Maybe you just need to voice some of those doubts to God. Maybe you need to say, God, this is, this is where I'm at. Thomas says, hey, I won't believe unless I can see him. Now, this is verse 28, but I love what Jesus says in verse 29. We're going to put that on the screen by itself because this is so good. And I think this is for us. Jesus told him, you believe because you have seen me. Blessed are those who believe without seeing me. Hey, Thomas, you believe because you saw me. And that's, that's fine. He doesn't say, loser. No, he says, you believe because you've seen. That's great. Blessed are those who believe without ever seeing. That's you and that's me. We have never traveled the earth with the incarnate Christ. We've not seen him in person. If you have, that's great. I'd love to hear about that. I've never seen Jesus. And he says, if you believe without seeing, how blessed is that? We sit here and go, if I, could just, if I could just see, if I could just witness this, I would, I would not doubt. But again, I would say to you, the Bible is full of people, Old and New Testament, who did see and immediately forgot, immediately went and did their own thing, and did, in fact did not believe. Think about the Israelites wandering through the desert. They were led by a pillar of clouds and a pillar of fire. Guys, that's pretty awesome. You go, man, if, I, if God would just show up in a pillar of fire, I would never question again. Time and time again through the Exodus, they complain. They believe God's abandoned them. They don't think he's real. They start melting down jewelry, making their own gods. So seeing is not everything. And in fact, Jesus says, if you can believe without seeing, how blessed are you? That's the word we have called faith. At the end of the day, no matter how well I formulate an answer to your question that maybe you'll submit next week, I will never be able to logic you or argue you or convince you because of my own cunning or cleverness into the kingdom. I can't do it. It requires faith. You have to take it on faith and believe, even though you've not seen, that all that this book says about Jesus is true, that he lived a sinless life, that he came and died for you, that he rose from the dead, and he's coming back. The gospel. Will you believe that? Hebrews 11.1 1 talks about faith, and it says that faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. It's faith. You haven't seen, you don't have that concrete, scientific, empirical evidence, but you choose to believe anyway. And there's a quote from J.D. Greer. He's the president of the Southern Baptist Convention. He's a pastor of a church called Summit up in Raleigh. He says this, Faith is not the absence of doubt. It is continuing to follow Jesus in the midst of doubt. You've probably heard something along the lines of, uh, you know, courage is not the, the absence of fear. It's, it's pushing forward in spite of that fear, right? We've all, we've all been afraid and we've pushed forward anyway. That's courage. Faith doesn't mean you never have doubts. Faith means you continue to follow Jesus and trust him even when you have doubts. 
even when you have questions you can't answer, even when you struggle. So my question to you as we come to a close tonight is where are you with this? Do you have some doubts that you feel like are just too big? Some questions you can't answer, some things that you go, because I can't fit this into a box, I'm out. Would you be brave enough to just bring that before God and ask him to help you in your unbelief? Would you be willing to give a voice to that, maybe in small group tonight? Your small group leader is going to ask you tonight, hey, got any questions, got any doubts, you got anything you're wrestling with, struggling with? My hope is this is a safe place that we can say, you know what, yeah, I have no idea how I'm supposed to believe that three in one and one in three, this whole Trinity thing, I don't get it. Or how could bad things happen to good people? Why could this happen to my family? I don't understand that. Give some voice to that tonight. And in the back, you'll see uh, next to Jacob on the first-time guest table there, I've got a bunch of index cards spread out. Yes, thank you, Jacob. That's, that's, you look like a Price is Right model. That's awesome. That was weird. Um, there's pens back there. There's index cards. If you've got a question and you say, hey, I'd really love for this to be answered next week, small group leaders, you can grab some of those before you go to group here in a few minutes, or you can grab that on your own tonight. You can drop it in a basket. You don't have to sign it. It's anonymous, okay? Those of you who have already submitted them online, I'm not going to get up next week like, well, you'll never guess what Eric Parker wanted answered. Woo-hoo-hoo. Gosh, he must not know Jesus, right, guys? Let's, okay, here we go. I'm not going to do that to you. Ask your question. I'm not going to think less of you. I want to try to come and give you an honest, genuine answer, and we can have further follow-up from that. But are you going to just let your doubts cause you to walk away? Are you going to allow questions to make you lose faith? I know we're going to sing one more song here. As we get ready to go into that song, I just want to ask you to consider Pascal's wager. Anybody ever heard of Blaise Pascal? Okay, you need to study up on your French philosophers and mathematicians. Blaise Pascal, uh, he's long dead. Like I said, he was French. And he had this concept called Pascal's wager. It basically amounts to this. He said, "If, uh, if I'm right and there's God and you're wrong and there is, What's that going to look like for you in eternity? So, so say you're right. Say you believe there's no God. There, this is all you know, just a bunch of fairy tales, this book. Let's say that's true, and I'm, and I'm wrong. There is no God, and, and it's just a big, giant dirt nap when you're gone from here. What have I lost by following Jesus? Maybe I've sacrificed a little bit for others to, to benefit. Maybe I've lived a little more selflessly. Maybe I've been more compassionate. But I haven't lost anything because it's a giant dirt nap. Who cares? But see, if there is a God and you wager that there's not, when we die, there's going to be a lot more of an awakening and a reckoning for you. Are you willing to wager as you head into eternity? And hear me say this, this life is not all there is. Are you willing to have, and listen, that requires faith itself to say, hey, there's nothing after this. that's That's a statement of faith. Are you so confident in that that you're going to just walk away from this whole Jesus thing? I implore you, if you've got questions, ask them. Bring them to Jesus. Let me pray for us, and then we'll uh, have some time to reflect. God, some of us in this room, we're wrestling with doubts and questions right now, and and we're on the verge of walking away. And God, for, for, for that person right now, I just pray that your spirit would begin to stir inside of them. Holy Spirit, you are the author of our salvation. You are the one who kindles that desire to know you within us. And I pray you would begin that journey for someone tonight or for the one who who knows you, God, but is just wrestling. They feel lost. They have no idea what to do with their questions and their doubts. I pray that they'd have the courage to come to you and say, I believe, but help me in my unbelief. Would you remind us, Holy Spirit, of your love? Would you remind us you are with us? 
that Jesus died for us and he's coming back that we can be where he is always. God, I pray that where there's uncertainty and some unsettledness that you would send your peace, your peace that surpasses all understanding. In this time of singing and reflection, would you speak to us and be with us? It's in Christ's name.